0: today on the daily scoop podcast from the scoop news group driving collaboration across agencies and all across government
1: cross-agency collaboration has to be a centerpiece of the pma and and basically any of the management policy agenda the administration has
0: the latest tool in the government's cyber fight is the false claims act
1: contractors are very concerned
2: about bringing cases like that because it will not only impact them for this case and
0: what what the costs are for this case but Uh, reputationally down the road as well and the keys to success for new contracting vehicles
3: the first one is actually understanding the needs of the agency of your agency customers making sure that the scope is right
0: it's friday october 8th 2021 welcome to the daily scoop podcast every afternoon you'll learn what's going on today in government i'm the host of the daily scoop podcast francis rose here's what's happening now the department of veterans affairs will get an independent cost analysis of its electronic health records modernization program Deputy Chief Information Officer Paul Brubaker says the Institute for Defense Analysis will do a study on the lifecycle costs of the EHR program. Brubaker told the House Veterans Affairs Committee the study will take about a year. Industry should offer the Army technology that's interoperable with other commercial solutions according to that service's Chief Data Officer. David Markowitz says that interoperability will help the Army meet zero trust and other technology requirements. Markowitz says the Army's open to rethinking how it licenses such technology from vendors. A data overload's complicating the continuous diagnostics and mitigation program. The acting CDM program manager at the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, Richard Grabowski, says CISA will help agencies understand how to read and sort through that data. Grabowski says, quote, there's too much out there for agencies to sort through on their own. You can read more about these stories and many others at fedscoop.com a programming note the daily scoop podcast will observe the federal holiday on monday we're back tuesday with a brand new daily scoop podcast at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows president's management agenda has yet to be released from the biden administration but hints are coming about what it might include. Chris Mim is adjunct professor of public administration at Syracuse University. He's former managing director for strategic issues at the Government Accountability Office. Chris, welcome. What I'm alluding to is this ongoing dialogue. Claire Martirana was the latest, and there are other administration officials talking about the importance of cross-agency collaboration, and it strikes me that that's not an accident. Does it seem to you in your professional experience, understanding you're not a GAO anymore, does it seem to you in your professional experience that that should be a cue of what we can expect more broadly, not just in IT, but all across uh, administration of the executive branch when the PMA comes out? Chris, welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Francis, and it's it's great to, to, to see you again and be on the, the program again. Um, I think uh, absolutely, it's a cross-agency collaboration has to be a centerpiece of the PMA and and basically any of the management policy agenda that administration has. It's certainly the Biden administration has signaled this to some extent in a couple of areas talking about whole of government strategies that are are gonna be needed. but it's, you know, if we think of any of the big policy issues that we confront as a, as a people, um, it's not going to be one agency operating by itself in its own silo that's going to be the solution to that. It's going to be m- much more often collaboration across various agencies, across levels of government, and across even sectors on that. And organizing that, bringing together a, a whole of government, or in some cases even whole of society approach, is go- needs to be, again, the centerpiece of, of any PMA going forward.
0: Where are we in accentuating, accelerating uh, those cross-agency collaborations? Did they get better, in your view, as a result of the just the crush of stuff that agencies had to do because of COVID? Or did they get worse? Or did they kind of stay neutral, Chris? I,
1: I think they are getting better. And it is you know, certainly that COVID underscored, once again, the, the importance of cross-agency collaboration and unfortunately, in some cases, you know, where, where there are gaps and where that doesn't necessarily work and where, you know, where we, we needed, you know, additional effort on that. As you know, is uh, the GPRA Modernization Act in 2010 required OMB to establish four-year four, agency, four year cross-agency priority goals. Um, the next set of those are due no later than February of, of 22, and so we're all kind of looking forward to those, and in particular, looking forward to seeing whether or not as envisioned by GPRA Modernization Act, the the big policy challenges that we face are become you know part of the cross agency priority goal framework. That has not always been in the case in the past. They've been important issues, but not some of the biggest issues that we confront. It'll be important that the that the CAP goals going forward really focus on those big policy goals in addition to some of the critical management issues that we face, obviously of, of IT modernization, cyber, um, things like that, that, you know, also need a, a cross-agency approach.
0: All right. So I'll ask you to speculate then as a former official emphasizing former. And as you said, before we started recording, uh, interested crank now that you're on the outside, February 22 to have the cap goals do sounds to me like a, a reasonable time frame to think about a new president's management agenda. Huh? Seems like that might just work out fine, Chris.
1: Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, the, they're probably, as you mentioned at the the outset, foreshadowing some of that already, which is you know exactly what you would be expecting and want them to do. Um, certainly it all needs to come out in, in some form with the uh the, the next president's or with the, the president's budget, you know, in, in, in February. Um so we're looking at the cap goals, the 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 president's management agenda. We'll be looking forward obviously to the agency priority goals, those are the individual goals that the, the agencies will be established. And then we'll be looking at the, the cross section among all of those the unity of, of cap priority goals pma um and to see how all of that comes together or not and, and i think uh you know on the, on the pma um a lot of the issues we can already you know Understand because they're long-standing management issues. They don't go away, or they're not new to this administration. And so, it's it won't be a surprise when we see IT modernization or cybersecurity on there, as I mentioned. It won't be a surprise at all when we see you know um, improving citizen interactions with government, what's often been called the customer experience with government. It won't be a surprise if we when we see strategic human capital management in some form, probably the you know hiring and onboarding and recruiting. Uh, on there. Um, those are long-standing issues. Obviously, we'll be seeing, interested in seeing how this administration puts its stamp on those particular issues going forward, but those, among others, will, will I would expect would be you know front and center on the PMA.
0: And all of those make complete sense, because those are all the issues that you and I have been talking about, and I've been talking about with other people, and you, of course, have been working on for... God knows how long at this point. I feel old when I start to think about it, Chris. But the what I wonder is how different the approaches or the potential solutions can be. I mean, we've been doing this now, as I said, for a long time. And so those challenges have gotten more and less challenging as time goes on in some cases, but they haven't gone away. And I wonder if if, if maybe we need to start to think as a government management community that these won't go away, that these will continue to be challenges It's a matter of mitigating them as much as possible. Are we thinking about how we deal with these the right way, Chris?
1: um, Yes, I mean, yes, you're raising an excellent point, is that I, I think we do, you know, in each of those areas, Think of you need to focus on what what have we been trying to do in the past that needs to be sustained and probably needs some more attention and, and focus, which is why you have a PMA, which is why you have a you know cross agency priority goals to give that additional attention, that additional high level focus uh, to them. Um, but as well, we need to step back and think of you know what do we need to do differently, either because it has not necessarily worked in the past or because things are just evolving and we're learning more over time. And it's uh, um, certainly in the area of, of cybersecurity. Of, as the, the threat continues to evolve, as, as new strategies continue to you know, need to be put in place. And I'm not just talking about obviously federal cybersecurity, but you know, uh, protection of critical infrastructure. Um, that's something that you know, the, the strategies and how we address that is ever evolving. Likewise, on human capital management, we as we learn about different skill sets that we're going to need in order to be you know successful and and deliver products and services, and certainly the you know the COVID environment has has underscored that as well. We need to think about different recruiting strategies, different sk- different skills. And um, I, Margaret Whitkirk, who was the the last uh, DDM, used to talk about the need for reskilling, you know, and as a as a key focus that she had in the in the um, the, the PMA when she was there. Um, these are all things that we can be looking at new and different ways of addressing some long-standing issues
0: all right next time you come on i want to dig into one or two of those individually and kind of take them apart and put them back together chris it's great to talk to you as always my friend
1: i'd be happy to do that look forward to it it's great talking with you as well
0: francis you can read more about cross-agency collaboration in today's show notes at the daily dot com coming up on today's daily scoop podcast two big contracting vehicles for government it former gsa administrator emily murphy tells you what to watch and how to make them work better for your agency the daily scoop podcast's lineup is available ahead of time on twitter you can follow the show at daily scoop pod the justice department will use the false claims act to go after contractors who don't comply with cyber mandates Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco says that punishment could include, quote, very, very hefty fines. Ari Schwartz is Managing Director for Cybersecurity at Venable. He's former Special Assistant to the President and Senior Advisor for Cybersecurity. Ari, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Uh, That report from CyberScoop yesterday and the False Claims Act strikes me as a really interesting and innovative vehicle to get vendors to comply with cybersecurity requirements for government because of the understanding that I have from contracting experts who say, when you bring up the False Claims Act, vendors go ballistic to try to make sure they avoid that at all costs. Am I connecting the right dots there, Ari? Welcome.
2: I think th- I think that's true. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. It's great to be back with you again. Um, but uh, I do think that that's generally true. The contractors are very concerned about bringing cases like that because it will not only impact them for this case and what the, what the costs are for this case, but uh, reputationally down the road as well. So um, I think that that is an area of major concern for contractors when they work on it. I'm not the lawyer that works on it at Venable, but just knowing having worked on some of these cases, um, I would say uh, that really uh, it, this whole thing comes out of the last year. Right. This last year, we've seen a number of cases where um, the government felt that contractors sat on information about incidents for too long. And how do we go about changing that around? Um, Right now, there's not really the disincentive for people to uh, keep information. Um, It doesn't really matter how long it takes them to report. Right. And um, they're trying to turn that on its head and make it so that people. Uh, see the benefit in reporting in in perhaps even over-reporting rather than under-reporting. I don't know that that will be, uh, if they do move to over-reporting and they're reporting everything that looks like a possible incident, whether that's going to be better for the government in the long run, but um, certainly it will change the dynamic that we have today.
0: You, you kind of anticipated my next question, Ari, which is, is there a point where there's too much transparency, where there's too much information coming in from vendors for the government to be able to process and parse it all?
2: Yeah, and I think we heard that when um, Jen Easterly, the the uh, new assistant director, uh, testified uh, earlier, um, I think it was earlier this month, uh, but it might have been uh, at the end of the last month, um, where uh, there was a really an, uh, a... Uh, she, had, she said you know we, we need more information we need more visibility, but there is a concern about having too much. And so I do think that it's getting to that right balance. that's going to be the, 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 the tipping point. It is pretty clear right now though that um, we did see that we have seen some big cases where they, the companies should have been more coordinate should coordinate more and see more of a benefit from working together or see at least less downside from from reporting. Uh, than,
0: than not reporting. There's a quality versus quantity equation there that I think there's a balance, I guess, that organizations and the government need to figure out how to strike. And I think that applies to the speed process, too. We're seeing FSMA legislation updates that could require agencies to report and one of the amendments is three days, one of the amendments was seven days, that, that goes back and forth. I wonder if the importance is that there is a deadline a time frame that the government expects to get this information rather than that it matters so much what that time frame is am I thinking about that the wrong way
2: well there's a pretty big debate about the time frame right now so I think you know in general uh, there, there, there's there is a a viewpoint that if you have a um, you leave it open for people to re- to have their own time frame but then you set you have a a, a strong hammer on the other side of the, at the end of it for not doing it, that people will see the benefit in wanting to report as quickly as possible, right? That if, you know, that, that, so it will be, it will be a very fast timeframe if you leave it open. Whereas if you have some date and if you say, oh, you have 72 hours to report, people will wait till about the whole 72 hours to do it. Um, we do seem to be moving more toward that time frame, time timeframe piece. But that is then pushing people to have shorter time frames, like a 24-hour time frame. And the problem there is, you know, yeah, most cases can probably be reported within 24 hours. But there are a number where it's very complicated and confusing. I think people um, that do incident response know each case is entirely different in a lot of ways, and there are it's very difficult um, if you're talking about possible incidents to get possible incidents within 24 hours. I mean, it's got to be something that is. Um, true, even 20, 72 hours can be difficult for possible incidents, but uh, you know, something that's confirmed, it seems to make sense to try and get it in that that kind of time timeframe. Um, so you, you got to have those kind of pieces, if you're going to put a time frame in, there's a lot more complication to how what you're asking for. Um, whereas if you kind of leave it open more, but have a little strong hammer on the back end of it, then maybe people will uh, be more inclined to report more earlier.
0: The other piece of this that I think is interesting uh, in my colleague Tim Starks' story on Cyberscoop.com, Monaco also said the department would take steps to protect whistleblowers who report these cybersecurity failings. What's the significance of that and what's the message that that sends to vendors, uh, to, to contractors who are thinking about how to deal with these issues, Ari?
2: Well, I think, again, it goes to the cases that we've seen this year. Where, where there have been a number that seem to be held for a really long time. Um, and I think that you know, we have heard from people internally that they felt that the company did not act fast enough and they even put memos out there saying that they should have acted faster, um, especially when a lot of times um, there can be personal association, personal blame for it. If you're a security person working on it, you're saying that you know, we need to report this thing, and then it doesn't get reported, and then yeah, um if it could come back to you as an individual. So I think that there is sort of a feeling of well, I, I'm sort of in, if you're in that situation as a security professional um, or even a lawyer dealing with these cases in the company um, that you're you're caught in between a rock and a hard place, and they're trying to at least make it easier so that. Uh, people feel if they want to turn on the whistleblower side, it, yeah, it might be a hard path, but it's not. But we will protect you, um, you know. And and uh, I I do think that that is I, having worked with uh, Lisa Monaco. I think when she says that, she really means it. If she's going to put it out there, so
0: given that that's the case, then and uh, it strikes me that the next thing to watch then would just be the first punishment through the False Claims Act. According to this, there's not some other interim step or policy or something like that, we should anticipate. We should anticipate that the Justice Department is serious about compliance, right?
2: Well, I do think as the FISMA, as FISMA rules change, um, as we see CMMC taken up in the Defense Department, what is, how long is that taking, et cetera, and then what the equivalent is in the civilian government, um, those pieces, they're going to have reporting timeframes to them. Um, and I think that that's really going to be the focus in terms of where you'd start to see these cases brought. I mean, there could be other things too, but that I think that is uh, in listening to her comments specifically. That seemed to be the the, the main area of focus. Um, so I think you would look in each of those areas um, and now know that now those have a larger hammer behind them than you would have, we would have originally thought. Um, uh, so I think that that um, is we you want to watch those. It's what cases are brought now under the existing rules and then how are the rules changing as well.
0: Ari Schwartz, thanks very much as always. Great to talk to you again.
2: Thank, Francis. Let's do it again.
0: You can read more about the Justice Department's plan in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. The lineup's filling up for Cyber Week, October 18th through the 22nd. Cyber Scoop has more than 40 events on the calendar already for the Cyber Festival. Lots of top leaders from technology, education, and government will be there both digitally and in person. You can learn more and you can sign up now at cyberweek.us. The General Services Administration's rolling out two major contract vehicles, Laura Stanton of the Federal Acquisition Service writes the Polaris contract is making progress. The commissioner of FAS, Sonny Hashmi, told you recently on the Daily Scoop podcast GSA is moving forward with the services multiple award contract that will replace Oasis. Emily Murphy's former administrator of the General Services Administration. I want to pull back from some of these specific vehicles, Emily. What makes a contracting vehicle broadly, not even necessarily GSA? work well for the agency that's going to use it and work well for the vendor who wants to serve the agency through the vehicle and then we can work backwards to how to make the vehicle work emily welcome
3: thanks francis and congratulations on the new show thank you um i think there are two things that make it work three things i'll say that make a contract work really well The first one is actually understanding the needs of the agency, of your agency customers, making sure that the scope is right and getting, because if you get the right scope and you can get the right vendors on it, then it becomes ease of access, ease of use. So the first thing, getting the technical right so that you get the right companies and then making sure it's easy to use. That means fast. That means uh, efficient. That means the fees are reasonable, but it really means that first and foremost that the solution you want is there on that contract vehicle.
0: You said the right vendors. What's the process Mm -hmm. for the organization that's letting the contract to make sure they're getting the right vendors? I mean, we've been doing it kind of the same way, it strikes me, for a long time, and I wonder if that right way continues to work, Emily.
3: So I think, and if, can I go a little bit more specific on this one? And let's talk about yeah. uh, how do, Polaris is working.
0: Yeah, do and whatever you want. They're trying
3: something different there. And I think parts of it are working and parts of it I would tweak if, if I were there. Okay. Um, what I think is working, they're trying a different approach with looking for the technical qualifications of the companies first and doing the pricing at the task order level. That's an incredible innovation in how you try and make sure you've got the right companies because you're no longer putting the companies that just are the lowest bidders on You're really trying to drive towards innovation. The challenge I think that you've got when you, and this is getting a little in the weeds of the GSA scoring methodology, is that they've gone in and they've given uh, more than double the amount of points to organizational risk versus they have emerging technology. So if the goal of the contract vehicle is to really bring the most emerging, cutting edge technologies into play, I think you wanna maybe balance that out a little bit more so that you bring in the right companies. ACT-IAC did a great recommendation on this. Uh, One of the things that they looked at was how does GSA document, they're they're saying, all right, we're organizational risk, we're gonna look at whether you've done a federal, state, or commercial contract together before. And ACT-IAC said, well, there are a lot of companies that have done a lot of joint development, test labs, uh, software solutions together that aren't gonna fit into that. And so they're not gonna get the points under organizational risk. But there's some of the most innovative companies out there. So how can you give them credit for that and bring their scores up so that vendor you know, that those vendors are on the contract? I think that gets GS that combined with GSA's already innovative approach to scoring will get them the companies that they want.
0: A couple things that I saw in the blog post that Laura wrote about uh, Polaris, and we've invited her to come on the show and talk about this, uh, that I thought were really interesting, and I'm curious about execution key Polaris features that we're aiming for, she writes. Periodic refreshment of the industrial base through on-ramps. That's not new. Inclusion of a technical refresh clause that can be triggered as needed to adapt to customer needs. Maybe I haven't heard it phrased that way before. Is that a new concept, Emily, and and, and maybe just put a different way? Or is that a different approach that maybe we haven't seen before?
3: So we've seen variations of this before, but I think GSA is taking it really seriously this time. There's always been a clin in there for emerging technologies, for something new. But the idea that they're going to actually go and run a refresh to bring in those technologies, that's new. And that's a great recognition that if you're looking at a 10-year contract vehicle, if you, I mean, it's 2021 now, if you think back to 2011 and what the technologies of 2011 were, yeah. let alone the technologies of 2016 or what we were talking about in 2017, and now try to project that out to, you know, 2032, it, I think GSA is very smart to include that.
0: How do you make that work, Emily?
3: It is going to uh, mean that you're you're going to have to have a scorecard, you know, your scorecard process, your on-ramp process, that gives flexibility, that has enough vendors there, and that allows some vendors to come on and fail. Um, because you're going to have some small businesses that are really innovative that get either acquired and are no longer small, which is frequently what happens, or who... They are the Betamax of the technology. They're a really good second run. And you want to make sure that that they're in the competition. So you need to have enough companies participating so that that happens. And that means continually adding new companies and continually adding those new new vendors.
0: All right. um, Another thing I saw in Laura's post that I thought was interesting, um, we're working to release an updated draft of the Polaris solicitation for Sections L&M and the scorecard and we will welcome your feedback on those. What kind of feedback do you expect that they'll get? What are, What do you see and, and again I'm not just picking on Polaris, I'm thinking more broadly but what do you see that you would expect that feedback to include?
3: So I think that the organizational risk is one of the areas you're going to see a lot of key f- feedback was the the change was made there. There was also a change to give less credit for emerging technologies so to limit the number of emerging technologies. And I understand they were doing that to try and get smaller companies that may not have as many. I'm not sure that that's the way to accomplish it as much as it is. To, I would instead open the aperture and bring more companies on as prime contract holders. I think they'll hear that feedback. I know they're also then having a conference with industry on the 20th, but comments are due on the 15th. I would reverse those because I think that a, flushing out those conversations uh, in the industry forum is going to get them much more actionable recommendations on the draft RFP than than having those recommendations come in and then having people get together and and vet them out.
0: Emily Murphy, former administrator of the General Services Administration, thanks very much for coming on.
3: Thanks so much, Francis.
0: You can find a link to Laura Stanton's blog post and read more about the GSA contract vehicles in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated or reviewed the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. When you give us high ratings and you give us good reviews, more people will be able to find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns Tuesday, no show on Monday because of the holiday. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thank you for listening.